Hello, everyone. I'm Ron Waxman and uh, Spencer King. We are in another episode of the King and I. And today is uh, the funeral of uh, Congressman John Lewis. And I thought that uh, it would be uh, right to speak about him. I mean, Spencer, you know him personally. Maybe you can share with us some of uh, how you met him and what was the first impression and, you know, to what extent uh, you had the relationship with him? Well, we all know about John from his early days in the civil rights movement, uh, but I got to know him uh, as my congressman, uh, but before that as a city council member. Uh, turns out that uh, the area, and you know the area well, where, where we live in Druid Hills, is part of the fifth district, it's part of John Lewis's district which is popularly talked about as being a predominantly African-American district, but about almost 40% of the district are, are white people. And uh, we're, we're, we're in that group. And so we met John, uh, not through his work in civil rights, but his work in uh, community rights. Uh, there was a highway being built through the neighborhoods of uh, Candler Park, uh, Inman Park, Virginia Highlands uh, and Druid Hills. It's called the Stone Mountain Freeway. It's a big expressway and they were going to model it after the uh, Rock Creek Parkway in Washington. And there was a lot of press about it and the people supporting it included the, the governor and the highway department and the mayor who was uh, Andy Young uh, in, at that time. Well, John Lewis uh, defending his uh, district uh, came out strongly in favor of our, our stance, which was to block that road, which we thought was not needed and disruptive to uh, the neighborhood. And so we got to know John first through this kind of activity, knowing very well his civil rights record and supporting that. But it's interesting that uh, people don't talk very much about what a good uh, local uh, congressman it was in, in looking after his constituents. But he, he that, that was part of him as well. Well, I guess uh, most people uh, didn't mention that because his role as a civil rights uh, icon was so big uh, and everybody was focusing that. But here you're giving a completely different dimension of uh, his activity as a congressman taking care of his uh, constituents. Uh, let me share with you uh, a piece that I got from a 2014 commencement address that he did at Emory. Uh, I think partly it was uh, um, uh, heard uh, during his ceremony at the Library of Congress, I think uh, earlier this week. So I'll try to share with you and then kind of your thoughts about this one. So my father was a sharecropper, a tenant farmer. But back in 1944, when I was only four years old, my father had saved $300. And with the $300, he bought 110 acres of land. My family is still on that land today. How many of you remember when you were four? Now, what happened to the rest of us? It was many, many years ago when we would visit the little town of Troy, visit Montgomery, visit Tuskegee, visit Birmingham. I saw those signs that said white men, Colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. 
I would come home and ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, why? And they would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But one day in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on our radio. 1957, I met Rosa Parks at the age of 17. In 1958, at the age of 18, I met Martin Luther King Jr. And these two individuals inspired me to get in the way, to get in trouble. So I come here to say to you this morning, on this beautiful campus, with your great education, you must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. Use your education. You have wonderful teachers, wonderful professors, researchers. Use what you have, use your learning, use your tools to help make our country and make our world a better place where no one would be left out or left behind. You can do it and you must do it. It is your time. And sir, uh, we made better since then? Oh, yeah, as John says, we've, we've made a, a great deal of, of progress, uh, but still have a long way to go. It's very poignant to me that uh, today, right now, as we're speaking, uh, the funeral at Ebenezer Church is taking place. And the first time I was in that church was 52 years ago at the funeral of Martin Luther King uh, when I was a resident at the VA here in Atlanta and had the opportunity to be down there at that event. Uh, John has, uh, you know, taken on the mantle of Martin Luther King uh, and has really moved it uh, a, a long way. I think that uh, we, we tend to underestimate. John is such a humble and quiet guy, and, but his power came from that. The, the, um, his first election, we, we worked on his first election, and he was running against uh, Julian Bond. Julian Bond was a very articulate uh, uh, African-American politician locally. He was famous nationally as well. Uh, and everyone expected Julian Bond to win, but we all got behind uh, John Lewis in the district. And uh, actually, uh, the white vote carried the day, I think, in, in that uh, we, we, were, we were in the minority, but uh, that was the, the margin John needed. And we support him very much uh, uh, because of his support of us in uh, trying to save the neighborhood from this, uh, what we considered an unnecessary highway that was being uh, supported by the highway department and the mayor and so forth and the governor. Uh, so John's, uh, but, but the other part, the other reason we supported uh, John was his authenticity. He, he Julian was uh, very articulate and, and so forth, but probably uh, John's uh, honest, you know, kind of uh, down home, uh, uh, kind of a nature uh, made everybody kind of drawn to him. And I think this has stood him in, in a good stead his whole whole career. He's very disarming to people because even people who have absolute opposite views to him, uh, John was never rude to them. He would he would just 
uh, say I completely disagree with you, but uh, I'm uh, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be mad at you. He said, I'll, I'll be upset about your causes and your failure to support what I think is right, but I'm not going to do that. And, and he went on to support so many things. When he was uh, doing that sit-in in Congress, when they had the uh, gun violence in Las Vegas and all the mass killings, he, he called a uh, conference down at Ebenezer Church in the, in the education room, and I went to it. And uh, that was uh, a time that uh, uh, one of the things that he was so strong for, but uh, did not make much progress, uh, not much progress in, in gun uh, legislation. But his spirit in uh, supporting uh, fairness, justice, uh, uh, the reform of uh, prison reform, uh, justice reform, uh, has gotten everybody... Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a character like this can galvanize things that a strong, uh, you know, dogmatic kind of personality uh, might not. Uh, but John was so humble and honest. I tell you, I was on a flight one time going to Washington and, and in Atlanta airport. I saw John and we started uh, chatting. And then I realized that they were doing upgrades. Uh, first class wasn't full. So they called my name. And I was getting upgraded. I said, I went up there. I said, hey, look, uh, my congressman's here. I'd like to get him upgraded too. So they said, oh, yeah. So I went back and I said, John, I got you upgraded. John said, no, 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 no. I'd never do that. I sit in the back. <laughs> he refused. So that was what a guy he was. You know, it's interesting. I mean, um, since I was trained with you and John Douglas, I, I must say that. Um, and, and you live close to each other, so probably he was serving both of you. But uh, as far as I remember, John Douglas' daughter was actually a staffer for him for many years. You, you want to tell some um, kind of stories about that one that you heard? Because I didn't talk to him too much. But I know that every time he used to come to CRT, he says, well, I have to see John and my daughter because uh, she's been working with him so, for so many years. Yeah, yeah. She, I think maybe three or four years, she, she was a staffer in his office. And... Uh, 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 Elizabeth hasn't uh, told any stories out of school, so I don't. I don't know about that. But you know, he was so open. You know, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I took my grandchildren there. We had a nice visit, a long visit with John, and he had a picture in his office. So you, perhaps you've been there. There's a picture of him being beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And my grandson, who at the time was about uh, eight or nine years old. Uh, looks at that and says, well, what, what's, uh, what's happening here? What, what, what happened? And John Lewis said, this is, uh, he said, where did they hit you? And uh, John Lewis said, well, this was on that bridge. He said, no, no, where did they hit you? You know, and John said, well, it hit me in the head. And my young grandson stood there, held his hand up like this and said, I'd, I'd fight too. I'd demonstrate. He said, because if you hadn't done that, my best friend wouldn't be able to go to school with me. So my, my grandson's best friend was an African-American kid up in North Carolina. So this was uh, interesting to visit with John, but it was, <laughs> it was more fun to see my grandson react to this. Uh, yeah, this is a good, good segue to uh, second, um, our, our second clip here. Two whites and one African-American. Nicholas Werner 
Andy Goodman, and James Cheney, went out to investigate the burning of an African-American church that was used for voter registration workshop. These three young men were detained by the sheriff, taken to jail, taken out of jail, turned over to the Klan, where they were beaten, shot, and killed. And I tell students today, these three young men didn't die in Vietnam. They didn't die in the Middle East or Eastern Europe. They didn't die in Africa or Central or South America. They died right here in our own country, trying to help all of our citizens become participants in the democratic process. As young people, you must understand that there are forces that want to take us back to another period. But you must say that we're not going back. We made too much progress, and we're going forward. There may be some setbacks, some delays, some disappointment, but you must never, ever give up or give in. You must keep the faith and keep your eyes on the prize. That is your calling. That is your mission. That is your moral obligation. That is your mandate. Get out there and do it. Get in the way. Yeah, uh, very powerful words. And, you know, to me, as someone who didn't grow in this area and all what I've been looking and interested in that it was like immediate fuller for Martin Luther King. Um, never being shown angry, always looking on the peaceful solution. But you're talking about beating. I mean, there was much harsh words of things that happened at that time, as, as he was saying in that uh, speech, in the commencement speech. Harsh words and harsh actions. Uh, these, these were dangerous days. Uh, people were being, uh, being killed. And uh, uh, so... John's uh, advice that he's saying there, and he said it again today in, in the article in the New York Times, his article that he wrote two days before he died, it was all about voting rights. Uh, was that, uh, and he grew up at a time when in Alabama, as I recall, 2% of African-Americans were registered to vote at the time he's talking about back there. And uh, so, and, and uh, Henry Gates, the uh, guy that looks into uh, genealogy for everybody, uh, had, a, had a program and he said that John's great-great-grandfather had actually voted, he discovered this, in 1867 during Reconstruction, his great-great-grandfather voted. No other person in his family ever voted again until John voted and came elected to Congress. So. You can't deny that there's progress. What you also can't deny is the history that goes with this and the impact of that history and how it has inhibited us from becoming really a unified country uh, as we should be. So uh, John's message is a powerful one. And, and, and uh, as soon as we finish talking, I'm going to go and look at my recording of his funeral. I wish I could be down there right now. We. Uh, uh, it's a uh, Ebenezer Church is, is quite a quite a landmark and and uh, this will be this will be a very important uh, day in American history. Absolutely, and and from uh, being uh, in the community, it looks like he was very engaged with uh, all of the people who sit there, but much more far away because you know that for us who live in D.C., we saw him more as a political icon to try to bring sense and push uh, civil rights and um, 
you know, a lot about um, uh, illegal immigrants' positions, people should not live in fear. So a lot of very strong messages that uh, uh, probably should be echoed. Uh, maybe we'll come to the last segment and then uh, I'd like to hear your final thoughts. So uh, I'll try to, again, bring the last segment from his speech. Please. We all live in the same house. And it doesn't matter whether we are black or white, Latino, Asian American, or Native American. It doesn't matter whether we are straight or gay. We are one people, we are one family. We all live in the same house. Be bold. Be courageous. Stand up. Speak up. Speak out. And find a way to create the beloved community the beloved world, a world of peace, a world that recognizes the dignity of all humankind. Never become bitter, never become hostile, never hate, live in peace. We are one, one people and one love. Yeah, very, again, powerful words. Uh, your thoughts? Well, it brought, it brought tears to a lot of eyes uh, when he said that. But uh, his, his idea of uh, peace, of course, is not uh, peace without action. It's, it's uh, peace and uh, do, do something about it. That's what he's always saying. We were uh, fortunate to be involved in a, at Emory, we've uh, established a, uh, a chair for John in the law school. Uh, it's, it's for a uh, Human rights, civil rights, and uh, immigration reform, and uh, immigration and, and uh, uh, justice reform. So there'll be a, a professorship uh, named after John at uh, at Emory. So these are these are things that will endure, but uh, hopefully the thing that will endure most will be uh, people uh, taking a little of DNA from John and and, and saying, well, maybe maybe this stuff could infect. Uh, uh, all of us, and uh, go. Uh, hesitate to use the word viral, but uh, but uh, uh, be something that uh, we could realize. Uh, and the positive impact of this. I grew up, as I mentioned before to you, in the Jim Crow South. Uh, the South did not become part of the United States until segregation formally ended, and the United States will not become the United States it should be until the kind of uh, the biases that we have are also ended. Yeah, um, I do hope that um, his legacy will remain for many, many years and, and will continue actually to amplify among his followers, um, no matter what's their color of the skin, their belief, I mean, this is, I think, the main legacy as a lot of needs to be done. I mean, uh, things have been progressed, as you mentioned, but we are still very far from closing this gap. So uh, this uh, very little contribution just for those who are listening to our episode and bring, uh, uh, fortunately, I mean, again, uh, Spencer, you actually knew him personally. You can share some personal insight that People don't talk much about it, but if I have to take one thing that I learned from 
this little conversation, other than the big issues and which we all talk about it, the people talked about this week and will continue to talk, is how humble he was and caring was for his own um, local citizens that he just did everything for them. Uh, so for him, uh, the racial justice uh, and all the other things that you said were important, but also to take care of a bridge or to take care of a road. Uh, and other probably a lot of things uh, were as important and uh, being a humble, I think probably was, uh, got all the love from everybody to him and the admiration that uh, probably will endure for many, many years. And I would be remiss but, uh, if I took credit for any any of this uh, friendship with him. It was Gail. He always called me uh, uh, doctor. He, he just referred to me as doctor all the time. Uh, but he'd always say, and how is Gail? Because uh, Gail, my wife, and his wife were, were in a luncheon group together. And, and he, he was, I think the only reason he paid any attention to me was because of her. Yeah, but that's what we all, we are just doctors. We lose our name and identity. But thank you, Spencer, for another uh, remarkable episode that probably is going to be very hard to repeat. Uh, but uh, we'll remember it. And, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to share your thoughts and your personal um, experience with the late uh, Congressman John Lewis. Thanks for letting me do it.